you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy June to you, and that means happy summer. It is upon us. Uh, It has taken me a little bit to get this last episode in the works, and that is just because our family is living in a little bit of a concentrated season. I told my patrons this in a little check-in that I did with them several days ago, but it just feels a bit like something I described to a friend a few years ago about a season she had found herself in. That it feels a little bit like a can of condensed orange juice or concentrated orange juice. If you consume it by itself, it's awfully sour and pungent. But if you simply add water, it changes everything. Not to be cheesy, but it's just a season that we are finding that we need to douse everything with the living water, especially the water that is the Word of God. And in doing so, it causes even what's bitter to be sweet somehow. I won't tell you all the things. I'm making little quotation marks with my fingers as I say all the things. But our precious middle child, as many of you know, Eliana, just graduated from high school. And that means that we are about to have two of our little birdies who are not so little anymore, not living in the nest, at least for long periods of time. We did make much of marking the season for our sweet Ellie. We had a lovely party here at our home. And by a lovely party here at our home, I mean that we cleared out our basement. Mostly Nathan did, but (laughs) we cleared out our basement and we hung up a disco ball. It was epic. We put most of the furniture that resides in our basement out onto the back deck And we brought out lamps and candles and flowers and rugs, and it was absolutely magical. It actually felt like heaven on earth. (laughs) We gathered with friends and family, and my parents were even able to be there. It was such a precious night. And the next day, I wasn't quick to take any of the decorations down. We sort of just had this day of rest and remembering what a sweet night we had, and I just couldn't bring myself to take any of the sweet decorations down. And then the next day is when our youngest, Danny Rose, woke up stomach sick. And that's the way I'll just describe what was going on. (laughs) We thought maybe it was something she had eaten, but then by around 10 a.m., Ellie started feeling stomach sick too. Then I decided to check in on Annie's friend, Emerson, who had spent the night with us after Ellie's party. And lo and behold... Emerson was tummy sick too. So the investigator and me had it all figured out. Ellie had taken Annie Rose and Emerson the morning before to get a bonbon bowl in downtown Franklin. That is essentially an acai bowl. I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but it's an acai bowl. And it is downright one of my favorite things ever in this town. So I was going to be really upset if it turned out that the girls got food poisoning from there. But then again, the alternative was that we were dealing with the stomach bug and we really didn't want to be dealing with the stomach bug. And it was right around then when Noah called. Noah lives down in Nashville, but he was at Ellie's party. He calls and he's worried because he begins to explain to us that he woke up that morning about 10 o'clock. It was on a Saturday. He got up. He was Feeling like he was going to pass out, he felt very nauseous, and that is when we knew 
that's when I decided to sheepishly reach out to some of the other guests that had come to the party. (laughs) It's the text that no host wants to send after a party, and wouldn't you know it, literally about half of the people who came to the party that night somehow got the stomach bug. (laughs) As I was texting our, I can laugh about it now, but as I was texting our pediatrician that weekend, I learned that it was going around our little town quicker than COVID. So as Nathan drove over to get Noah to bring him back to the house so that we could take care of him, I didn't want him passing out on the floor and his roommates not knowing about it. Well, I started the process of cleaning up everything that I could just lysoling the entire house. Thankfully, my parents did not get sick. And unbelievably, Nathan and I didn't even get sick after even we took care of all three kids all weekend. And all I have to say is that was actually the silver lining of the whole deal. Having all our birdies in the nest (laughs) and us getting to wait on them hand and foot all weekend. I have to say, I didn't want them to be sick, but it was so glorious to have them all home. So there's that. Thankfully, Ellie's actual graduation ceremony was not until the next weekend. So we very much got to enjoy that. As many of you know, we have homeschooled most of the way, so this is just a big deal. Ellie really only went to public school in kindergarten and then was pretty much homeschooled or in a hybrid homeschool situation all the way through. And in the state of Tennessee, you have to have what's called an umbrella school over you as a homeschooler, which means that this is the school that keeps your transcript for you. They vouch for your curriculum and your attendance. Well, our umbrella school is Franklin Classical School, and they provide the most meaningful commencement ceremony with a full cap and gown experience, which I'm just so grateful for. My brother Eric and his wife Kristen and their three girls drove down from Atlanta to be at the ceremony with us, which I'm so grateful about that I could just cry. And then my mom and dad got to be there as well, which just felt honestly miraculous. I posted pictures of all of that on Instagram, so you'll want to make sure and see those. The week after Ellie's graduation ceremony was what I like to call Operation Annie Rose's Dance Recital. (laughs) We had a full week getting to celebrate Annie's fourth season of dance at Roots Academy here in Franklin, and we had something every night for a week straight, which was great, but full. Annie amazed us yet again with how graceful of a dancer she is and how much heart and soul she puts into it. She literally brings us to tears. And she was in tears afterward, along with all of her friends, as another year was coming to a close. We just downloaded her summer reading for the next school year. And again, part of what makes this season feel so concentrated like you're trying a spoonful of frozen orange juice in a can, is that our youngest will start high school this next year. And she's the last little birdie in the nest. So anyway, it has taken me a little bit to get this last episode in the works. And with this episode, I'll be signing off for the summer. And honestly, maybe even a bit beyond that. I'm actually not sure yet. I'll speak a little more into that in a minute. But I've spent the last few weeks reading and studying and listening and praying. 
partly because I know that I need some rhythms for the summer that stay intact in order to not feel like I'm just flying by the seat of my pants around here. I'm not positive yet what those rhythms are. I know that one of them is to have some things that I'm reading, and I'll tell you about some of those in a minute. Another is that we truly need to, as a family, pace our intake of sugar. So (laughs) I'm currently working on that. And I know that I want to spend really intentional time with our kids, whether that's just around the dinner table or our little fire pit that we sometimes light up after the sun goes down. We had the best conversation around the fire the other night as Memorial Day was upon us. And speaking of homeschoolers, I was so proud of my kids that they were able to hang with these conversations and even bring information to the table about World War One and Two. We talked about Hitler and the Holocaust and the fall of the Nazi regime. Can you tell that we're parenting teens and young adults? We talked about the Vietnam War, about wounded soldiers, whether that be dismemberment or PTSD. We talked about soldiers who ultimately have given their lives. We talked about what it looks like to still be a grateful patriot of our country. Not a nationalist, but a patriot. Being patriotic isn't the attitude that America can do no wrong. It's just the posture that there are men and women who have died horrible deaths so that we could all still have the freedoms that we have. And it's important that our children remember that. We ended our night around the fire talking about the way of Jesus. And even me just saying that just now, doesn't it just settle your spirit? The way of Jesus. It's the subject matter that transcends all of our questions and our minds, and it brings us back into alignment with the Father's heart when we're tempted to fear or become anxious. So all that to say, I know that was a lot. (laughs) I want more nights by the fire like that with my kids. One of the books I just started reading for the summer is called Don't Miss Out, Daring to Believe That Life is Better with the Holy Spirit. You might have seen that I posted about this not long ago. It's by a friend of a friend named Jeannie Cunyon. And I'm only about two chapters in, but I have skimmed through it and I already can highly recommend it. I feel drawn to it, I think, for several reasons. One of them is that I had already been thinking around this idea that if my book, The Life You Long For, could have any sort of companion study to it, it would need to be on the Holy Spirit. Honestly, as I was writing my book, there were several moments that I wish that I could go off on tangents for a while or even have a whole chapter dedicated to it. And the Holy Spirit would have definitely been one of those tangents or chapters that I could have spent some time on. But because of the nature of my book and how it was laid out in the three sections, the calling of the beloved, the community of the beloved, and the capacity of the beloved, it was all centered around this picture of living from the bullseye. And I felt Like I needed to just keep laying out this foundation that I could later build on, whether that's through this podcast or even through another book someday or a Bible study. But you might be thinking, why the Holy Spirit? It's because living life from the bullseye is truly an invitation into the super over the natural, as Jeannie puts it. I definitely touch on this invitation as well several times in my book. That Jesus invites us to come and know what it looks like to live from the supernatural. But what Jeannie has so brilliantly done in her book is that she went on that Holy Spirit tangent to help remind us of the person of the Holy Spirit 
and that He is to our advantage. Some of the chapter names, I love it. They are this. He makes His home in us. He never leaves us. I like this one. He is better than self-help. He makes much of Jesus. He authored the Bible. He empowered Jesus. He is the spirit of truth, and He communicates with us. In fact, my dad, who has been preaching on the Holy Spirit for the last several Sundays, which was another reason why Jeannie's book is so meaningful to me right now, but my dad would tell you that the Holy Spirit, who is God, is who you and I are dealing with much of our day, much of our life, much of our time. He's not only our comforter, but He's our counselor. He's not only going to bring to our remembrance the words of Jesus, He does that, but He's also speaking into our daily mundane, even into the small things. He cares, and He's here. He's with us, and He's in us. I posted about this, but one of the reasons why I knew right away that this was a book that I needed to read is that I became overcome with emotion as I read John 14, 16 through 17, and then I read Jeannie's response to it. That verse says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You know Him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. This is Jesus saying this. He's like, you'll know, you'll know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jeannie says about this passage, the Greek word translated helper in this verse is parakletos, which literally means called to one side. But this wasn't just any helper. See, even more exciting is how Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be another helper. The Greek word translated another in this verse is alon, which in this context translates as another of the same kind. I guess I became overcome with emotion because so often in these days, I find myself remembering the words of Jesus and relating to the attributes of the Father's heart, and I forget the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jeannie talks about how for many of us, we're comfortable with God the Father and God the Son, but we just assume that God the Holy Spirit is just for the extremes. It's either for the super spiritual or the super strange. She says this, which I can fully identify with, how I wish I'd heard more about the Spirit's power for our daily life, our mundane, in my earlier years of following Jesus. Or maybe I did hear it, but I just wasn't listening I only recall being familiar with the conversations and divisions around the gifts of the Spirit, and I think he got stuck in the spiritual gifts box. This is why I long to see him more woven into our narrative, because there is no part of the Christian life that isn't utterly dependent of the Spirit's power in us. It's the in us that gets me. When we put our trust in Jesus, God puts His Spirit in us. It's an extravagant exchange, all to our advantage and all for God's glory. As I thought more and more about how to explain to others how to live from our belovedness, which is out from the propelling rest of God, I've realized that the supernatural in our daily or the glorious in our mundane is all possible because of the Holy Spirit and His power in us and through us 
as we represent Christ to the world around us. One thing I was really excited to see is that at the back of the book, Jeannie has provided a spiritual gifts survey to help you understand more about yourself and the gifts that Jesus himself gave you. The gifts listed here on this survey are leadership, administration, teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, discernment, exhortation, shepherding, faith, evangelism, apostleship, service, mercy, giving, and hospitality. I told my daughters today that I'd love to have them take this test sometime this summer so that they can begin to learn at an early age what their spiritual gifts are and how to use them and really how to grow in them. Such a beautiful thing. So all that to say, I highly recommend Don't Miss Out to You. Another book that I'm going through is called Renovation of the Heart, Putting on the Character of Christ by Dallas Willard. At first, I have to say I was really intimidated by this book because Dallas was a professor and former director of the School of Philosophy at the University of Southern California. He was a very deep thinker, and I say was because he passed away several years ago, but it's essentially a book about spiritual formation. But this book is very deep, and it's pretty thick, and it has very small letters in it that form words that I have to read over and over again to understand it. (laughs) I will say that this is partly an exercise for me to read something that I really have to think about and sometimes Google words when I don't know their meaning. So it might not be your summer read, but I'm three full chapters in. And once I realize that the process of spiritual formation is essentially the same as the process of living from the bullseye, Now, he definitely goes into that process leaps and bounds more than I do, but I knew I was going to be okay. Willard says this of spiritual formation in the book. Spiritual formation for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. And what follows, we must carefully examine what this means for today. But we can say at the outset that in the degree to which spiritual formation in Christ is successful, the outer life of the individual becomes a natural expression or outflow of the character and teachings of Jesus. It sounds like bullseye living, doesn't it? (laughs) Living from the bullseye of our belovedness out into the outer rings of our lives and into the community and the capacity that God has always intended that we live in. The back of Willard's book says this, As Christians, we know that we are new creations in Jesus, so we try to act differently, hoping this will make us more like Him. But changing our outward behavior doesn't change our hearts. Only by God's grace can we be transformed internally. Okay, so like I said, maybe it's not your summer reading, but I do love Willard's phrase that we are apprentices of Jesus, not just followers, but people who literally take the yoke of Jesus, the training and the life, the way he does life. We take his yoke upon us. We are people who learn from him and we practice his way of life. Someone who 
believes that the Word of God is not just good teachings, but it's actually a manual and even the authority over our lives. All things that the world will tell you is oppressive, but it's only because they tragically don't know the literal wellspring that it is and the propelling rest that it brings us. I've got to be honest with you that I've spent the last few weeks grieving over the culture we are living in. I know that sounds a little delayed, (laughs) but it's probably a good thing that I held off on the podcast so that I could just take a couple of days to just gather my thoughts. I'm a very slow processor, so things just take me a minute. (laughs) For much of 2020, I stayed purposely under a rock and in Psalm 119 with the rest of you. Sometimes we have to work at resisting that herd-like mentality that can come over us, sort of the idea that, well, if everyone else is freaking out, then I guess I'm supposed to be freaking out too. Now, the way I'm wired, I've learned by now that I have to be very careful about what I let into my thought world, especially if I am to keep leading and drawing people into the beauty of Jesus, which is something I feel called to. I have to reserve much of my heart and soul for that beauty in order to keep pointing to that beauty. So the past few weeks have been me carefully listening and learning and understanding. And again, I know this sounds like a delayed response to the year of 2020, but I think that was very intentional. But here I am, I'm learning more about this culture we find ourselves in, especially because Nathan and I have already launched our oldest birdie out into this culture and what is coming at him and against everything he's been raised in in terms of his faith is beyond anything that I've ever seen. Nathan and I spent 20 years in collegiate ministry and this is just another level what we see coming at our kids and we're getting ready to launch another birdie out there. Side note, I told Nathan the other day that one thing that I do wish that I would have done better when my kids were really little, because it's easier when they're little, is to have them hide God's Word in their heart, to memorize Scripture. My mom did this with us, at least with a few key verses, and I've never forgotten them. I know that there are unlimited resources out there online, but I purchased a book a few years ago that I wish I would have gotten when they were little. Like I said, it's by a pastor named Robert J. Morgan, and it's called A Hundred Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart. I like this book because he has actually broken down all these verses in sections according to topic, which I think is very helpful. But the biggest piece of advice is just start small. Even if you just get 10 verses in their little hearts uh, that they memorize for life, it's something that they will always be able to come back to when stuff hits the fan. (laughs) Anyway, as I was saying, I just now feel like I'm able to sift through the important and irrelevant things that I need to know. And I can hear them from people who have also taken the time to be quiet and listen and learn and are now able to articulate what is going on in our culture in a way that doesn't feel all the way to one side or the other. I'm listening to people who I feel like are living from the center or the bullseye, if you will, of God's heart. And my spirit testifies and resonates with truth. I just want to urge you in these days to search the scriptures in order to know what you believe and to know your God. 
ask the Holy Spirit, who is another helper of the same kind as Jesus and God, and ask Him to reveal His Word to you. Ask Him to illuminate the Scriptures to show you the heart of God and give you the mind of Christ. And the other thing I would urge you to pray for is renewal, both in your own heart continually, but in the church collectively. This word renewal, I first heard it when Nathan and I first got married, and we were a part of a church plant in the Oklahoma City area. And the people there, the pastors, they use this word renewal a lot. And I can attest that it was renewal in our hearts that launched Nathan and I into praying prayers and writing songs that would later, we'd watch God use them to propel an entire movement of worship that was already sweeping across the globe, and we got to be a part of helping move it along in our day. Renewal is different than revival in that it starts in the hearts of God's people. It starts small, and it moves out from there. It's about a renewed surrender and humility and repentance. It's about a longing for God's presence, which honestly is what we need the most of right now. We need encounters with God and we need more of His presence. Renewal in the hearts of God's people is what leads to revival, which is a movement of people coming to Christ. As I said before, I'm taking the summer off. This is mostly just to listen to some stirrings that are happening in me right now. I think it's surrounding some music that maybe is supposed to come forth. I'm not exactly sure yet. But I know that I need to get low and quiet and listen. But I'm also a bit heavy in knowing that this isn't exactly the time to get quiet in our culture. So I'm holding both sides of that tension. And I'm trusting Jesus's rhythm as his apprentice, watching how he often withdrew from the crowds and he got alone with the Father so that he could later emerge and give his all to the people he had come to raise up, heal, and restore. Hiding and emerging, it's the rhythm that brings about faithful endurance and longevity. I will be keeping my patrons updated through the summer, and I have some extras for them coming down the line. If you would like to join our little community this summer, you can do so at patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Christy Knuckles. It's really just an app that you download. You download the app for free, and then you can join our little community. It's just $6 a month, or I think you can actually pay yearly now. You can get updates from me. You can chime in with our community. You get little fun freebies here and there, plus extra content. And I was even thinking you can gain access to the Summer in the Psalms series that I did a few summers ago, which actually remains one of my favorite series that I've ever done. So check that out. So we're going to spend just a few minutes here celebrating this last chapter of the book. We made it. The life you long for, learning to live from a heart of rest. I do love this chapter. The title of it came from my husband. You know the story if you read the book, but always remember to never forget was a phrase that Nathan often used at just the right moment. Usually when the kids were being crazy loud and rambunctious, he'd pop his head in the room and say, always remember. And he'd pause for a minute until he got their attention. And then he'd say, to never forget, 
And then they'd just laugh or they'd roll their eyes. This is because Nathan has always been the king of dad jokes around here, rightly so. Last night, we got in his truck to go to dinner and the girls got in the back seat and there was a box of these landscaping stakes in the middle of the seat. And he turned around and said, y'all be careful now. The stakes are high. (laughs) And then he added, if y'all get hungry now, help yourself to some steaks. I'm seeing the back of his head. He's not laughing. (laughs) It's special. It's maybe even exceptional, Nathan. You're so good. But the kids have always been used to this lighthearted way of changing the temperature of the room emotionally when I was all out of tries. So always remember to never forget came from that. And it was a song as well. You know that when we decided to write the Lullaby album, Nathan brought up the idea of a little waltz a song that came around this whimsical phrase, always remember to never forget. And as many of you know, this phrase also made its way into a conversation that I had with my girls when they were much younger, a moment that I got to speak the word yes over my daughters to answer the question when they look in the mirror and wonder, am I beautiful? Am I worth anything in this world? Do I have anything to offer? I wanted them to hear it right then and there, from me, their mother, that yes, you are pure as gold. Yes, you are beautiful. So always remember to never forget. As I wrap up the book, I lay out those five W's of journalism that you might remember from grade school. You know, these were the questions that we were told to use in gathering information about whatever we were researching or studying Somewhere along the way, I think how was added to the list, so actually it became the five W's and an H. So with that inspiration, in the very ending pages, I give you the seven wonders of the beloved, questions that will hopefully keep us remembering what is important in these days. This is just my own little way of pursuing remembrance, but those seven wonders or answers in the form of questions are as follows, who whose, when, where, how, what, and why. As I close today's episode and this season of the podcast, I'd love to go over these together as a way of remembering not to forget who we are, whose we are, even where we are as the beloved. And that helps us always remember the how, the what, and the why of our day and our lives. God is a God of order. I love it. Beloved, who are you? You are God-loved. You are made in His image. No matter what you look like or where you're from, you are made in His image. He also placed an insatiable longing in you to know Him and to be fully reconciled to Him. That's Romans 8, 22-23. If you have trusted Christ with your life, and I pray you have, you bear the highest calling on your life being God's beloved child. You are now a super overnatural being. You're a spirit being. And God's life, His very life, can flow through you so that you can live at your fullest capacity just as His fullest capacity can flow through your weakest frailty. You are the beloved of God. 
You are a human being, not a human doing, and you are able to be filled with the fullness of God. That's Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So always remember to never forget who you are because that helps you always answer whose you are. Beloved, you belong to God. That is whose you are. You are not your own. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You were knit together by God to reflect who he is to the world. But what I found is that reflecting happens in a more effortless way when we understand that we were just made to know God. We were made to love him and we were made to enjoy him, to be in a relationship with him. And it's out of this that we begin to long to glorify him, to make much of him to the world around us. Another important aspect of whose you are is that you belong to the family of God. We belong to each other. That's Romans 12, 5. And our belonging is also beautifully described in Philippians 2. In the order and the way of God, it's people before productivity and community before capacity. And I think about how fiercely the enemy has come after this to steal, kill, and destroy what God has deemed a beautiful order. Think about how relationships have become such a target of the enemy's manipulation and even destruction, how families have fallen apart and even churches. The enemy is always directly opposing what God has already released and promised. In living from the bullseye, we seek to live from what God has already released and promised over us, and we are meant to approach and encounter the people that God has brought into the general vicinity of us. That includes our spouse, our children, our family, extended family, and what extends out from there is our community group, our church, our neighbors, the people around us. But there's an order there, isn't it? Your kids can actually be excellent teachers in how to spiritually mother others and disciple others. It's meant to go in that order. There's even sort of our first things first, our first people first that we encounter. And out from there, we encounter our extended family, our extended neighbors and community. This is all within this order that God has so lovingly created for us. The community of the beloved is a beautiful and even a vital part of whose we are, and it must be fought for. May we always remember to never forget this. What about when? Often in the Old Testament, it says, at that time, the Lord did this or that. I believe that we all have an at that time. I love Hebrews 4, verse 6, where it says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How beautiful is this? The Lord set apart a certain day and he called it today. And he said, today, if you hear my voice. And he gives us one directive, knowing that out of this directive, so much would flow and follow. He said, just do not harden your hearts. 
It doesn't matter if we're in a season of beginning or a season that is ending. Open your heart to God. Let your heart be moldable. Be that clay on the potter's wheel. Have a soft and moldable heart in the hand of God. Our when is still always today. W-H-E-N. Our when is today. Our when rushes back every morning along with the mercies of God. A new day to rise up in the fullness of who God has made us to be. May we always remember to never forget our when is always today. So we've covered who and whose we are and when our when is, but what about where we are? I wrote this little story in the book. I love it so much. One rainy afternoon when our youngest Annie Rose was inching toward three years old, we got out some home movies of when the kids were younger to keep them entertained. Annie Rose sat perfectly still, sucking those two fingers of hers. She was completely mesmerized to see herself as an infant as we kept pointing out, there's baby Annie Rose. A couple of hours later, out of nowhere, she asked me, Mommy, where is I'm? I tried to grasp what she was saying while also trying not to laugh as she said it again with fervor. Where is I'm? I assured her that she was right there with me, but she quickly whined, No, where is baby Annie Rose? I suddenly realized that she hadn't put two and two together that baby Annie Rose from the video was herself. (laughs) I think she was so taken with that cuddly, cute baby that she wanted to know where she could find her. I said, she's you. You are baby Annie Rose, but you are growing up and getting bigger. And she smiled at me bashfully as we both just sat there and giggled. I love that story so much as it reminds me of just being a kid myself and just trying to figure out the stuff of life. But speaking of the stuff of life, knowing where we are in Christ— is a game changer. Where is I'm? Jesus said in John 14, 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. To illustrate this in the book, I tell you about a fun illustration that my mom taught me when I was younger. It came from our family friend, Annabelle Gillum. I loved hearing in Annabelle's book called The Confident Woman, which was written a long time ago, but she would practice using her spiritual imagination, which if you think about it, is really just the same thing as practicing our faith. And sometimes she would make things or have little ceremonies that helped you declare a truth kind of once and for all to help you, as you guessed it, always remember to never forget. One of her most famous illustrations, at least in our family, was a set of simple envelopes that tell the story of where we are as the beloved. And here's what I wrote about it in the book. Gather three envelopes of graduated sizes, small, medium, and large, as well as a slip of paper and a bit of decorative tape, such as like washi tape. You can embellish the envelopes and make them pretty and Pinterest-worthy if you want, or you can just go Office Depot style. You do you. On the largest envelope, print the Father. On the next size envelope down, print Christ Jesus. On the smallest of the three envelopes, print your name. And on the little slip of paper, print Christ Jesus again. After you've done this, take the slip of paper with Christ Jesus on it and place it inside the envelope with your name on it. 
beloved, Christ is in you. Now take that envelope with your name on it, with Christ Jesus inside, and place it inside the larger envelope that says Christ Jesus. Christ is in you, but you are also in Christ. How amazing is that? Next, take the Christ Jesus envelope and place it inside the largest envelope that says the Father. Beloved, this is where you are. And side note, in the book, I'm giving you scriptural references through all of that. But this is where you are. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and He is in the Father. This is what Jesus meant when He said, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, use your decorative tape to seal this outer envelope and write the Holy Spirit across the tape. It is true that the Spirit of God is in you, and I give that scriptural reference there, but He is also the blessed seal that covers where you are in Christ. Ephesians 1.13, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I'll never forget using this illustration with a group of worship leader women that I got to help disciple during our years in Atlanta. After I got past worrying that they would think it was kind of cheesy and dorky, I decided to make them each a set of envelopes with their names inside those envelope sets so that when they opened that Christ Jesus envelope, they found an envelope with their name on it. They were in Christ, but then also inside their envelope, they found that Christ was there also. Christ is in them. I remember there was just a holy hush over the room as they just reached into deep mystery right there in my living room. It's important to always remember to never forget where we are because it has everything to do with how we will endure as the beloved in these days. Colossians 1.11 says that we are strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The word endurance here in the Greek means an enabling to remain under. I tell you in the book that the first thing that I think of is the banner of God's love over us that I talk about in the very first chapter of the book and how He's called us to come underneath that banner and to live out from it. So I believe that we are to remain under His love because of the wellspring that it is and the overflow that happens from living from this place. But I also believe that we are to remain under His authority. You can't remain under God's love without remaining under His authority. You can't have one without the other. It's like our culture right now. It wants the kingdom, but not the king. How we will endure has everything to do with embracing the love of God along with the authority of God over our lives and submission to His love and authority. It causes us to actually unfold into the bright, beautiful people that He made us to be. Submission to God's authority is not oppressive. It is freedom in the fullest and the most life-giving sense. It is the beginning of the unfolding of the true us. I know it because I have lived it, and it's how we can go about enduring faithfully in this hour. It's taking everything in me not to go into the story that I share in this section about how God helped me to learn how to take my place in the embrace of Jesus again when I had forgotten for a moment that I needed to stay up under His love 
and his authority. It's about a gift that Nathan gave me for my 40th birthday. You may or may not have heard me speak about it, but I just recently hung that birthday gift over my bathtub. Those of you who know what I'm talking about can picture that. I found it in our storage and I dusted it off and I finally hung it in our new home. And I love that as I'm getting ready in the mornings, I can see this said birthday gift through my mirror as it hangs behind me on the wall above my bathtub. But it is there to help me always remember to never forget that staying in this embrace is how I will keep going each day. I know that I made that vague, but I have to leave some kind of mystery here so that maybe the life you long for learning to live from a heart of rest book might be also on your summer reading list. And then there's the what and the why. I see the what and the why in the outermost rings of our lives because they matter. It matters how we live from the bullseye out into the outer rings of our lives and we carry ourselves out from this banner of God's love and authority, out into this world. And it matters that we go about the what and the why of our day and our lives. But I love to say that living from the bullseye, it reclaims our what and our why. When I'm living from the outside in, which is the opposite, it's that barren way of living away from the center of God's love and His presence. When I do this, I start with the what and the why of my day. And the only trouble is, is when I've not spent time in God's presence and communion and fellowship with Him, remembering who and whose I am, the what and the why of my life and my day become distorted. A lot of my own small shelf life love gets inserted into what I'm doing. And as we all know, it just doesn't take very long to lose our sense of meaning and purpose. And it begins to feel empty and barren. My what and my why can even become self-serving or a way to try to even control the outcomes when I'm living in fear that God isn't going to come through in the way that I hope He will. But when we live from the bullseye out into the outer rings of our lives, our what and our why remain crystal clear. Our what flows out from the life we are longing for, which also becomes the life God longs for, for us, that we would simply make disciples, more apprentices of Jesus in this day. That is our what. If you'll remember when Eric was on the podcast a few years ago, we talked about how when you are a sheep and you are following the shepherd who is Jesus, it's like we become sheep from the front, still following Jesus. But from the back, we look like shepherds. We become shepherds from the back so that others might follow us as we still follow in the way of Jesus. May we always remember to never forget that this is our what as the beloved of God. And get this, your gifts and your wirings and your talents and even your profession have been gifted and handed to you by God to aid you in ultimately fulfilling this what. Always remember to never forget it. Why? What a great question and answer. I end the book on this fact and we'll end this season here together. Jesus is that answer in the form of a question. He is and always will be our why. Why? 
because He was God in the flesh who came to save us, restore us, and show us the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which He is the reigning King. And we've been miraculously invited into His reigning activity as King. I couldn't love this scene more in John 1, 35 through 39, where it says that John the Baptist was standing with a few of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now for these Jewish boys who were the disciples standing around, these were golden words that told them that this was the one they had been looking for all of their lives. The one in whom their who, their whose, when, where, how, what, and why was all wrapped up in. He was the greatest why of their lives, and they knew it. It says in verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And I love this. It says that Jesus turned and saw them following him, and he said to them, what are you seeking? Some versions say that Jesus actually said, what is it that you want? And they answered in the form of a question. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, their answer to him is, Jesus, we want to know where you're going and where you're staying because wherever you are is where we want to be. In verse 39, Jesus says to them and to us today, he says, come and you will see. And living from our belovedness, Our why in this life is always and only Jesus because the life we most long for every day and the rest that we crave is forever found wherever He is. And isn't it fitting that our why in our reclaimed outermost ring leads us right back to the bullseye once more. Much love to you and over your summer. I'll talk to you soon.